Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Platov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. Now, there was a little monk that uh, came to see his teacher, and uh, he asked him about... Uh, uh, a statement that uh, a man named Setro, and he was a he was a teacher from way way back that he had made, and he said, "Well, this man speaks of an iron bar without a hole." Now, please, would you tell me what does that mean? An iron bar without a hole. And this teacher looked at him, and he says, "Well, who ever heard of it meaning anything at all?" To seek meaning in such a phrase is like looking for a mountain in a kernel of corn. And he says, look, there's a flower. Do you look at the flower and say, what does it mean? Happy is the man that enjoys a good supper. But sad is he when he tries to understand it. Some things are meant to be understood. You know, the price of flax, you know, the price of bread, the quantity of beans it's necessary to make a meal. But an iron bar without a hole is to be experienced. just as is the taste of tea. And the monk thought about this for a while, and he said, well, now, how may I attain this experience? And Togodan looked at him, and he said, how may a baby without teeth eat fried pork? And yet, you can be taught to attain but if I teach you, promise me, you've got to make me a promise, promise me that you will forget what I shall teach. Well, if you ask me, sir, I promise, you know, that you can promise anything. I promise I'm going to forget that you're going to teach me. Then you've got to forget that I asked you to promise. Well, I've forgotten that, sir. <laughs> Now forget that you've forgotten. Oh, I have forgotten. What have you forgotten? Indeed, sir, that too I have forgotten. Hmm? Just so. Hmm? At that point, hmm, I can present you with an iron bar without a hole. 
Now, what will you do with it? And the monk, you know, he was in this routine of saying this thing, and he says, Oh, I shall forget it, sir. So this master then pushed him over to the window, and he showed him the whole panorama from that window, of the mountains and the forest and the lake, you know, and all the blue heaven above, this beautiful scene. And he says, see, I present you with the entire world. What will you do with it? What will you do with it? Hmm? To his own surprise, this little monk surprised himself, you know, he stood there at the window and he said, uh, the view is most attractive. I will go and take a walk. And in truth, he wandered many a mile, but his body never moved. <laughs> you know, these little stories, I really should tell the same one week after week mm -hmm. after week after week until maybe finally it begins to register that you're supposed to do something with them other than listen and that what you take out of here as your immediate interpretation is not the interpretation of the story. You can take one of these stories and you can live with it. And I mean live with it. If you would live with it, you would begin to understand, you know, an iron bar without a hole. I'm going to talk a little bit about Buddhism this morning. And it is not that I am particularly touting Buddhism above anything else. Uh, I'm not trying to say it's better than. I think when they're all understood, there is no better than. But I'm trying, let us say, to um, aim an arrow, to shoot an arrow in a particular direction, and hopefully... Uh, it uh, comes somewhere near the mark. And now, this prince, Gautama, he left the palace and the kingdom of his father, and he devoted himself to the disciplines. Now, they were Hindu disciplines that he went into. I mean, after all, he lived in India, and this is what was present. So he went into these disciplines, and he practiced for many years, and finally, he arrived at the threshold of enlightenment. Now, years he did this, you know. And uh, so he sat himself down under the bow tree, which we call Bodhi tree. And he sat there for seven days. And he was approached by the uh, tempter, the god, you know, in, mythologically, Kamamara which is the god of desire and death. Now, you know, Jesus was also tempted on the mountain. These are all, they all run pretty parallel. Yeah. Now, this prince overcame this tempter by remaining immovable in his introverted state, this introversion, this meditation, this contemplation. Hmm? And as he, after he overcame him, he went and sat for seven days under another tree. And then he went and sat seven days under another tree. And there he experienced the great awakening. 
He sat on this retreat. Now, after this experience and sitting further under this tree, uh, he knew that what he had experienced was beyond speech, that all attempts to talk about it would be in vain. He knew that it was an experience that each individual must have for himself or herself. So he made up his mind he wasn't going to teach. He wasn't just wasn't going to make it known. Isn't that great? <laughs> so, but the story goes a little further. <coughs> Brahm, the universal Lord, and the Lord of the fleeting processes of life. Remember, this comes out of Hinduism, huh? He began to realize that this decision had been made. And there would be no attempt made to give this teaching of the Great Awakening. It wasn't going to be revealed. So Brahm descended from his zenith, and he begged on bended knee, he begged the Buddha to become the teacher of mankind. He said, you know, there might be, someday, there might be, some happy few whose eyes would not be blinded by the dust of desire. And these happy few would understand. And he had an, 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 a story, an example of, for instance, flowers, lotus flowers, growing in a pond, they arise out of the water. They're to be found in various stages of maturity. Some the buds were deep under the water yet. Some were nearing the surface. Some were already opened, you know, trying to drink in the rays of the sun, which would help develop the roots. Hmm? Just so. Among mankind, there might be a few that would be prepared to hear. So this Buddha, this awakened one, was moved by the sincere imploring of Brahm. And he said, all right. So disciples came and an order assumed shape, and the Buddhist tradition was brought into existence. Now, from the beginning, the doctrine was never meant to interfere with the living of life or the habits, the daily habits of people, or with the course of civilization. Hmm? He didn't have a big propaganda thing out, you got to change and you got to do this and you got to do that and all civilization is going to be happier. This was never in it. And he said, too, you know, if it vanished from the world, fine, that's all right, too. Hmm? That's the way it should be. You know that in all the Buddhist texts, and there are, you know, it's still libraries, 
there is not one word that can be directly traced with absolute authority to Gautama. Not one word. You know, in India, in his time, which was 500 years before Christ, hmm, there was a whole jungle mythological systems, a whole jungle of them, you know. But this teaching that he came up with, that he presented, he was a very rational man, hmm, offered no mythological vision, neither of the present world nor of a world to come. He presented a system of therapy, of therapy for suffering. It was a treatment. It was a cure for those strong enough to follow it. It was a method, a process of healing. Now, in the terminology of this doctrine, there was a breaking away from all the popular and all the accepted, at that time, all accepted methods of Indian religious and philosophical instruction. So he didn't develop a whole philosophy. What he offered was his advice as a spiritual physician. And he followed the procedure of physicians of that day, you know, the inspection of the patient. And in this inspection of the patient, in this procedure, he came up with four statements. And the first of them was, all life is sorrowful. And that simply says, we are members of a human race. We are men and women. And we are spiritually not healthy. Our system is that we carry on our shoulders a whole burden of sorrows. And the disease is endemic. Now note, he didn't say anything. There was no discussion in this of any guilt. None. It was simply all life is sorrowful. It's not your fault. It's not my fault. It is not anybody's fault. All life is sorrowful. And now, out of this sentence, this statement, we come to the next. Hmm? This spiritual physician. The cause of our sorrow is ignorant craving. The simply not knowing any better. We just don't know any better. Ignorance is the problem. Nothing less, nothing more. <coughs> no guilt. Just ignorance. You know, we are born a natural man, as St. Paul puts it. 
The ignorance is a natural function of the whole life processes. And yet the problem can be erased. Just the way that the innocence of a child is erased as it grows through adolescence and maturity. So all of that can be erased to the point of innocence again. Hmm? Basically, you know, we don't think very much. We don't. You know, we play around with our thoughts. We argue with ourselves. We congratulate ourselves. This is not thinking. We don't question. Our ignorance is based simply <clears throat> that we do not know that we are living in a world of convention. Hmm? And our feelings and our thoughts and our actions are all determined by these conventions. Even if you flout conventions, which there has been much of today, you're simply following another convention. It's another contrivance. It's another device hoping to get you out of this. You simply move from the mainstream to a substream and following its convention. That's freedom. We are so egotistical that we even imagine yeah, that our ideas about things, religious, philosophical, and otherwise, you know, represent, our ideas represent an ultimate reality. And so we're bound by them. We're limited by them. We're locked in by them. Like we were in a, you know, and of course we're still thinking, so it's like we're a fish in a net. We're caught in the mesh. And our grandiose ideas about ourselves and the world, you know, are simply the branchings out of our own attitudes. We have involuntary attitudes. We have involuntary patterns, a way of seeing things, of judging, you know, and a way of behaving. It grew like topsy, huh? Of course. And we know we, in our ignorance, we just simply accept these patterns and these attitudes without any question. We don't even think about them. They, we are so identified with them, you know? We simply regard the content of the attitude as a fact of existence. This little mistake about reality is the cause of the suffering in our lives. So our primary cause is ignorance. Huh? And we do not even know we are ignorant. I'm speaking spiritually. Huh? Yeah. The tragedies and the comedies 
with which we get involved, which we bring forth from ourselves, and in which we act, they develop spontaneously out of our innermost condition of non-knowing. We go forth into this world with all our restricted con concepts and our unconscious wishes and our unconscious expectations, and so we precipitate our own future. It's the future which came out of our past, our ignorant attitudes. See, and it's an endless stream in which we're carried along, because we never look, except, of course, a few. But looking at it this way, we can begin to see that the individual cannot be understood in the terms of that individual's mistakes. We are carried along in an endless stream. What you learned, you learned your attitudes are your parents' attitudes, and their attitudes were their parents' attitudes, and their attitudes, and so on and on and on, and an endless stream. And in this endless stream, you're passing it along also and no guilt. You can't. What we do is rooted in a human way of life. And the content of this life is a blend of unfulfillment, of desires, of longings, of fears, of guilt and of regret. And this Buddha said, such a state is something from which it would only be sensible to be healed. Hmm? <clears throat> you know, Lao Tzu, approximately at the same time in China, said, you know, when you're sick enough of your sickness, then you will seek to be healed. Ignorance. Spiritual ignorance. Now, this man said that their suffering can be overcome. It can be erased. And the way to this is the noble eightfold path. The right view, right aspiration, right speech, right conduct, right means of livelihood, right endeavor, right mindfulness, and right contemplation. And each one of those statements, each one of those little rights, huh, is something to be understood. I mean, right speech doesn't go out and mean to go out and learn how to be grammatically correct, does it? Mm. Now, uh, you can see that, uh, from what I have said, I hope, that this is a doctrine that hardly, could hardly appeal to the masses, really, you know. It's only to those few who actually have a need to undertake 
some kind of a treatment to be healed. They've got to have a will, and they've got to have a stamina. And in seeking that treatment, that stamina grows. It is a long, hard road of self-ordained discipline to reach that cure. To begin to understand that the values that we have, which we attribute to any given thing, is determined by a particular pattern, our pattern of existence, you know, from which that is regarded, that particular point, and with which the personality is concerned. If your personality is not concerned with it, you are no longer interested in it. Now, in this uh, Buddha's teaching, and the teaching is called Yana. Yana. So we have the Hinayana and the Mahayana, the two sects of Buddhism. <coughs> A Hinayana is the little vehicle, and Mahayana is the great vehicle, because yana simply means vehicle. It means ferry boat, is what it means. So there's a little <laughs> ferry boat, and there is a big ferry boat. <coughs> and ferry boat is a, a tremendous image that is used in India. So it gives some sense, you know, to the function of his doctrine. In everyday Hindu life, the ferry boat plays an important part. It is an indispensable means of transportation, because all over India there are rivers, and bridges are practically non-existent. So ferry boat becomes very important if you're going on a trip, you know, of any distance at all, 100 miles, to reach that goal of that trip, you know, somewhere in there you're going to have to take a ferry boat, Soyana. <laughs> the doctrine of this noble truth, you know, provides a ferry boat across the river of life, of everyday life, of phenomenal life, to the other shore of liberation, to enter a boat of discipline, to begin to cross a river, to come from the shore of common sense experience, that is, experiences we hold in common <coughs> hmm? from our senses. In our ignorance, 
to the other shore of transcendental wisdom. Now, standing on this shore of common sense, on this side of the stream, waiting for the boat to arrive, one is part of this life, part and parcel. <clears throat> life is on this shore. We feel the warmth or the coolness of the breezes. We see the flowers. We taste our coffee. Hmm? We hear the rustle of the trees. We experience the character of people. We experience their patterns as opposed to our pattern or in conjunction with our pattern. Hmm? <clears throat> and we know that the solid earth is underfoot. The other bank, that other shore is uh, an image at best, huh? Better you didn't have it. It's like an optical mirage mentally held across a broad flowing water. Over there it is. Hmm? Over there. We really have no idea what it will be like to stand on that distant shore. None. None. I don't care how you imagine it. You cannot imagine how it will be to stand on that other shore. You know, we see pictures about foreign countries, and uh, we have in our heads some kind of an idea what it's going to be like when we get there. So we get there. The whole, the trip is just nowhere near what you had figured out it was going to be. Nowhere near. Hmm? Some of you traced off to Japan and went into a monastery. Hmm? Nowhere near what you imagined. No. Until you actually arrive, you cannot know what it is like, any more than I know what New York is like, for all the pictures of it that I've seen. I don't know. Hmm? But we're standing on this shore, and we're waiting for a ferry boat, and you know that humanity, all of humanity is standing on this shore, and they don't even know it. They're standing on the shore waiting for the ferry boat. And so one, here comes the ferry boat now. We can see it coming in. Hmm? The essence of a doctrine we can begin to grasp. <coughs> we have an intuition about how spiritually not healthy we have been. And so it comes into a landing. Hmm? And we look at it, this doctrine, with a feeling of interest. You know, we feel it around. And some people look at it, at the essence of a doctrine. You've got that intuition to see this essence of a doctrine. Some people cannot, and they turn away. And some people look, 
and it is not of enough interest, and they turn away. But we decide to get on board. We're going to get on board this ferry boat. And so we take our bag and our baggage, of course, <laughs> and we get aboard the boat. <laughs> and we're still members of the world from which we are departing. We are still members of that world. You're not going to leave that behind. And there is still the feeling of unreality about that other shore, about our destination. And we're standing there in this boat, and this far shore is a very remote image at best. It's no more substantial now that we are standing on the boat than when before when we got on the boat, even though it was the whole world was supposed to have changed. Now we're on a boat. But it didn't. Very softly now, this ferry boat pushes off and begins to glide across this water. And we're on this boat disciplining ourselves and applying all the healing techniques that we hear about. We have introspection and right contemplation, and we're trying to develop right mindfulness and right speech. Hmm? And more and more, our eye is fastened to that other shore. And the boat sails along and glides along, and all of a sudden, one day, we begin to realize there comes up in us this experience. It's not, it's a realization that some kind of an invisible line has been passed imperceptibly. Something has changed. And we look again at that far shore, and it's beginning to turn into something quite real. Quite real. It actually does exist. Actually. Huh? What had been a very dim remoteness is now becoming a reality. And before too long after that, you know, solid ground, real earth is scraping the bottom of the boat. And we look around at this other shore. We're not off the boat yet. We look around at this other shore, at this new reality, new to us. It isn't new at all. Which now we don't have but which now possesses us. Hmm? It gives us an entirely different view of the river and of the other shore that we have left. We have different values. <coughs> this is one thing a person can do while they're on the boat. They can keep choosing values that they think are in conjunction with or would go with the other shore rather than choosing the ones that go with the first shore. Hmm? You know, as we're crossing this river in this boat, 
with one shore left behind, becoming gradually more and more. Oh, it becomes vague at times. And the other shore is still too far off. And we're in the middle of the river, and so it seems that neither shore is tangible. And you have this tremendous impulse to get off the boat. <laughs> huh? Only where are you going to go? Hmm? Where are you going to go? The only tangible reality seeming to you at the moment, you know, is the boat and the ferryman. Now, the boat is the doctrine or the teaching, the vehicle of the teaching, the many details of the discipline and the meditation and the self-observation and the recollection, you know. The only, it becomes the only thing for the time being. It's the only thing that the people in the ferry boat can have any conviction in. The teacher is the ferryman, and the order, the teaching, is their protection. We're wrapped in it. We make a cocoon of it. Because it, you know, it defines the way. Otherwise, we're out in this river, in this boat, you know, and, you know, where am I? Where am I? The people in the boat are involved in a peculiar sort of a middle. It's peculiar because it's all their own. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in this boat, and it's the vehicle which is going to take me to the other shore, which is going to cure me. It's going to make me healthy. It's going to do away with my spiritual ignorance. Now, the boat is a doctrine. <coughs> Any doctrine that is valid. And it isn't just Buddhism that goes through this. It is all of them. And let us say that a, a particular one is uh, given one is using a particular doctrine and has become very enmeshed in it and has become very dependent upon it. <coughs> At that point, no other doctrine has any validity. None whatsoever. Huh? How could it? Huh? One is enmeshed in this particular boat. You look out there and see another boat, well, it's not as good as mine, of course, you know, naturally, how can it be? Huh? You look around and you say, well, it's a nice boat, but it's got a different color on it. Now, I like my color better. You see, the other one is worded a little differently, and therefore it's confusing. So, no, no. Hmm? Because if we really looked at it, it might cause a leak in the boat. And that would never do. Huh? We can become quite enmeshed in a system. Yeah? We're quite dependent upon it. So we have this tendency to give objections to the other systems. Of course, we knew before we got into this boat that there were other boats. But somehow the appointments of the other boats weren't quite to our suiting. Huh? We didn't quite like them. And uh, this one has, the one we're in, has some particular accoutrements that we think we need. You know, otherwise we could just simply make a raft. 
We could make a raft. We could collect some wood, you know, timber. The structure, the basic structures of all the doctrines and tie them together in their essence. And that raft would have no accoutrement and would simply sail right straight across the river. That is, if we had the sense to find and to use the correct timbers. We don't have, so we use a boat. Hmm? But the Buddha very often spoke of this ferry boat as a raft. And there is one of the little stories about him, you know, where he one day uh, was talking to the monks, and he asked them, uh, what would be your opinion of a man? Do you think he would be a clever man? If out of gratitude for the raft that has carried him across the stream to safety, having reached the other shore, should he cling to this raft? Should he take it on his back and walk around with the weight of it? Well, the monks reply, well, no, certainly the man who would do that would not be a clever man. Would not the clever man be the one who left the raft of no use to him any longer to the current of the stream and walk ahead without turning back to look at it? Is it not simply a tool to be thrown away once it has served the purpose for which it was made? Hmm? If one has arrived, what good is a raft? What good is a ferry boat? Now, is this not also true of many other things in our lives? Hmm? Once something has served its purpose, is it of further use? Hmm? I wonder then, why do we cling? <coughs> but say, you know, that we cross this river. This you, you finally reach the destination of the journey which you had started simply by being born. Hmm? On this other shore, there is no duality. One stands there and looks. Do you think one sees the other shore, other shores, other shores, other shores? In non-duality, how can there be other? Other even is me and God, huh? You've got an other. There can be other shore. There can be only other. Even God, other. For those still in the realm of the dualism. Illumination. This liberation. Remember there are stages to it. Hmm? Means that one is free from the distinction between the two shores. From the distinction between the worldly spiritual ignorance and the transcendental ex existence. They become one. 
They are not other. And this whole journey, you know, this whole long pilgrimage to what we call spiritual health, spiritual perfection. Uh, St. Paul put it, you know, being raised a spiritual man, which is motivated by self-surrender and at the accomplishment of the cost of sacrifices of the ego. One chooses the other instead of the ego. All that tribulation disappears like a dream disappears when one awakens. See this long-continued career that we think about. Hmm? The picture book legend, you know, of self-purification, these images that we have built in, all vanishes like a rainbow. You know, at one time, the dream was coming true step by step by step. Hmm? And there were within it all these crises and all the decisions we had to make and all series of sacrifices, you know. But this whole struggle has been healed on this other shore. And it all dissolves into a kind of a background, a backdrop, as it were, because one is free. <coughs> you know, last Sunday we talked a little bit about the sun. Now, how the sun is obscured. How this reality within us is obscured by our attitudes and by our ignorance. That's what obscures it. Like the, like the cloud across the sun or the dust on a mirror obscures an image. Hmm? But on this other shore, see, the sun shines. The sun shines. Our sun, up there, huh? physical sun, objective sun, is part of our everyday life. Without it, we wouldn't be alive. And we are enmeshed in its phenomenal existence. We are in its radiance. Hmm? We are dependent on it. But the sun is not dependent on us. Reality is not dependent on the phenomenal. It is free of all entanglements. It is free of all the sorrows, the causes of sorrows. We cling to them. We're enmeshed in them and we cling to the mesh, the net. Hmm? And over and over and over again we hear these words, let go, let go, let go. Have you ever asked yourselves, what is it that you are to let go of? And now, may the peace 
and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separate one from another. And I thank you. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.